0: Peer Review is a series of podcasts designed to shed light on the extraordinary breadth and diversity of talent that sit in the House of Lords. The House of Lords often gets a bad rap because it is thought to be a house of cronies and it is an unelected house. But I hope through these interviews you will see that there is this extraordinary talent, there is a great knowledge and experience and with that i leave you to draw your own conclusions well my guest today is the wonderful helena kennedy of these shores
1: of the shores
0: uh, which is the marvelous title and sounds uh, so grand it's so grand (laughs) it's so grand it's not not true and it's that old thing helena is ask a busy person Mm -hmm. and you are it i mean you there are so many things you've done it's absolutely extraordinary i mean glancing through your biography. I was sort of exhausted by the end of it. (laughs) And uh, I mean, you talk about public servant. It's absolutely amazing. You you were brought up in in Scotland, of course, for a staunch Catholic Labour family, I think.
1: That's right. Um, south side of Glasgow. Uh, that's Is why. That the I'm, good side. Uh, that, <laughs> it's, in some ways, it's the it's the sort of immigrant side in that there there were a lot of uh, Jewish families there. There were uh, lots of Irish immigrant uh, families there. And uh, and as you moved out, and as people became sort of a bit. More well healed, then they moved to the sort of the suburbs of that of the south side, and so. Um, um, but we started off very much. Um, I was born in a tenement building and lived in it until I was ten, with a two-room and kitchen. It was as it was called.
0: And you were a close family.
1: Very close. I have, I have three sisters. They still live in Scotland. Still live in Glasgow, and um, and I was the third of them. And I think that where you are positioned in a family sometimes makes a difference. And I was the child who was born after. After the war, my father had been away um, in the army for six, actually nearly seven years, because he was he stayed on afterwards because he was with the intelligence corps. Although he was a working class man, but he was smart and he was he was moved to it. And they were dealing with people in the aftermath of people who were being rounded up who had been collaborators and so on. And were um, uh, and there were issues about what you did with those um, detainees. So he. Um, he didn't get home uh, immediately. And my two older sisters are, are nine and ten years older than me. Mm. And then my my, uh, my mother got pregnant and had a boy who died in birth. And so I was the replacement of a son, and I was the first child my father ever was really involved with. And all in the photograph albums, I'm the, I'm the baby, the golden his, child. I'm the baby in his arms, and then then there was a little sister, uh, my sister Therese. But uh, um, and your so father was surrounded by women when he got, came back. Surrounded came by, back. by women, and and in fact he was a he was a, he, he was a man who cherished that actually, and uh, he was a, a very lovely man.
0: And you then obviously did phenomenally well at school and, and and
1: I loved school. I mean, it really was where I came into my own and I, and I, um and i I was well taught by, by teachers who were very committed. It was a big Catholic state school um, and um, but I had a wonderful uh, classic te- teacher. I was taught Latin and Greek by him and uh, and he um, encouraged me to debate. And I think that gave me a sort of foothold in in what ultimately made me make the choice of doing law. I think uh, encouragement came from him, and I and I went down to London and uh, and uh, studied law and studied for the bar.
0: Mm. You know, would they ever have thought? Almost certainly not that you'd be starring in the coronation uh, with the Queen's <laughs> rod and dove.
1: Absolutely. I mean, it, no, you no, know, I, I, the
0: head girl I, bit at, at Hollywood, yeah. Holly yeah. I can understand, but
1: yeah, I was kind of. Uh, tickled at the idea of what my mother sitting on cloud nine is making of all of this or my father my father would have been thrilled and incredibly proud but mm. my mother would have thought oh i hope this keeps your feet on the on the floor you know and you don't get too uh big for your boots you know my mother was very uh as people would say to her you know how do you feel about your daughter now being a lady uh, mrs kennedy they were alive when you were my father died when he was only sixty-one. Oh, right, but your mother was
0: alive when you. you oh, she was. When she you came up yeah,
1: she lived until she was ninety-three, and she came down for that. Kept seeing people, and she said, "Oh, I thought that person was dead." <laughs> you know, she'd see Lord uh, 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 Callaghan and Peel. Anyway, she she was uh, you know, but she was, and it was very. She was she was very uh, tickled, but she's not a woman for uh, effusiveness on the, on the basis that you mustn't get too big for your boots, and you've got to. uh uh all of her daughters were ladies, as far as she was concerned. <laughs> but she was a, a, a doughty woman, and she was she was a great force in my life.
0: It was a great moment for her. But your legal career as a barrister was extraordinary because you were straight into Mara Hindley as a, a junior, weren't you? Yeah, I mean, and I, this I was, was her plotting to escape, wasn't it?
1: Yes, and plotting to escape from 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 prison. This is in seventy four. Yeah. I mean, and I, and I was a baby barrister. I would only been practicing um uh for, you know, I mean I, I qualified in nineteen seventy two and did my pupillage and so on, and then um was involved in setting up a new set of chambers, which was quite a radical set of chambers, Jonathan. And uh, and so we uh, uh I, I and then I was instructed in to, to be the junior in this particular case by a big law firm. And uh and so um it was it And what was, was what was Mara Hindley like? When well, you met her, well, I mean, you have got to remember that she, um, by this time, had been in prison a very long time, and she'd learned how the system worked, and uh, and she was um, very anxious to make sure that I knew that she was not some ill-educated person. And she wanted to immediately know what I was reading and uh, what books I liked. And she wanted to talk about books more than she wanted to talk about uh, 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 her plan to escape from prison. She'd had a relationship uh, with um, one of the wardresses. Oh, really? Yeah, and and that was the, the nature of the planning. And then you had Brighton Bombing. I did the Brighton bombing. I did before I did the Brighton bombing. I did the Balkan Street Siege. It was the Dorf. first big yeah. um, uh, um, terrorist trial that I was involved in. I was still in, in my late twenties, and uh, I acted for one of the defendants in that case. And um, uh, and and that th- those were a group of men who had, were involved in a whole set of uh, uh, of um, you know uh, offences which um, uh, which they um, were. were gentlemen's clubs and so on were, were, were you know, shot up. And uh, and uh, and they were accused of the uh, Guildford and, uh, um Well, they weren't accused of it. That was the interesting thing, was that in the course of the trial, they admitted that they were responsible for the Guildford and Woolwich bombings, for which people were already in custody. And it was interesting because that all came full circle for me because many years later, I ended up as the trial counsel in the appeal um, uh, of of the men who had been convicted of the Guilford Four appeal. The Guilford Four, yeah. And it was, a, it was recognized as a miscarriage of justice and that they had been wrongly convicted. Uh, and it was interesting because the men that we acted for in the late, late 70s um, were telling us that they had actually been responsible for that bombing. So extraordinary. Extraordinary.
0: And in some ways it justifies what my next question was going to be is you know, when you're given this sort of brief for someone who is a, a terrorist or something to defend them, it must be quite a struggle with your conscience or not. I don't well,
1: know. well, what happens is that you, you've got to, it's, 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 it's a question that's always asked by uh, members of the public. They're, they're puzzled at the fact that you might end up representing people they, they would find reprehensible. And... Uh, and the thing you have to um, learn early on as you're doing more and more serious crime is that you can't, you, you know, you're not only ever going to be act, acting for the good guys. Um, and sometimes it's not for you to decide whether someone is a good guy or not a good guy. If someone is telling you that they didn't do something or that they've been charged with something that is the wrong thing that they've been charged with and they're not hiding some of the other rather ugly things that might have happened, but it, but people, the purpose of the, the criminal justice system is to ab- you know, abide by certain rules which are for the protection of all of us. And so I, I you really do convince yourself that your role in this is to make sure that, uh, that the trial is conducted in a fair way, that people are given the opportunity of presenting. And
0: uh, the Brighton bombings, which was obviously the oh, yeah. sort of attack on the Conservative government yeah. in Brighton where Margaret Thatcher, mm. and you were involved.
1: I was a junior counsel. For, um uh the, the the guy who was the commanding officer in that I was led by um, um in fact someone who's in the House of Lords now um, um uh, who's a liberal Democrat here but um we we acted for for um O'Donnell um and uh, and of course it was a, it went to the heart of government I mean it was um it was a, a plot that had obviously been incredibly well planned and uh, and the man who was convicted of actually placing the bomb um, years later, it was so interesting that he entered into a whole process of truth and reconciliation, almost with um, where he met with the daughter of one of the people who had been uh, murdered, who had who had died in that bombing, and uh, and she wanted to understand what his motivations were and how the taking of a life could in any way help his cause. And uh, I, I watched on television; and it was so interesting to see. McGee, the man who uh, had laid the bomb, um, talking about it.
0: And civil liberties have been really at the heart of
1: your... Yeah
0: your activity really i
1: mean, I mean most of most of my so work much. has been in that field yeah. i mean it's for me it's about protecting and the new the chambers hall. you set up and the new chambers um i mean we i set up uh, i was involved in the setting up of a new set of chambers when i was very young which was really when i was on, only newly qualified um a group of us who were um, had been hoping to get into a particular set of chambers hadn't achieved places and we got together and said well let's um, uh, um, set up our own set of chambers i mean i think it would be unheard of nowadays um for that to happen with such young practitioners but a group of us six of us three men and three women it was you know very unusual there were very few women at the bar at that time you know the percentage was something like four or five percent um and we set up a new set of chambers and it burgeoned and it's now a big set of chambers garden court but um further along the line um i got together with another group and uh, and uh, we set up Doughty street which was in 1990 which mm, was formidable Yeah, reputation. It's a, it's it's a, it's a, it's a. a, Of course, a lot of the work there is not just national, but it's international too. And now, at the moment, more of my work is international. Mm. Um, And I chair. I mean, I've I've chaired different organisations around uh, international law and human rights. But I, I am the director of the Institute of Human Rights for the International Bar Association. Mm. So that's where a lot of my work is.
0: So, how much time does the bar take for you, or law take? The law take for me. You've had so many other roles
1: well, I, I mean i I, mean, I always think of it as being the, the central core of who i am right and so even when i've uh, when I, I i i came into the house of lords in 1997 mm. and that was as jonathan that was really as a result of um i hadn't people said to me did you ever, don't didn't you ever want to be a labor mp or anything like that and i have to honestly say it never ever um occurred to me nor would it have, would, would i have wanted to I, I love the law. I love being in court. I love the business of, of conducting a case, having to have a strategy for how you conducted it, the research that went into it, and so on. And it's it's both incredibly, it's got the drama in it, but it's also got the intellectual stimulus. But And also, it can affect a certain amount of change. I, the area where I've, I like to think that I've made most changes around women in the law, because I did a whole set of mm. homicide cases involving women who ended up killing a very abusive person. Men who had, um, uh, made you know, uh, abused them through their, their their marital lives or through their relationships. I did a lot of difficult cases, and, and cases involving young women, for example. I mean, it's harder to imagine now, but girls who got pregnant and who were um, so filled with shame and couldn't tell their parents that they gave birth, and then, you know, destroyed the babies or threw them out of windows or mm. you know put them in the bin, mm. and uh, and then ended up on trial, and yet they were almost invariably suffering from mental health issues and, and so there,
0: there was obviously a, a tipping point where, I mean, clearly you'd had a heritage yeah. family upbringing, yes. strong labor, strong yes. Catholic family. There was obviously a tipping point where the lure of academia, because you then went on to be a chancellor of Oxford Brookes, a principal of Mansfield College, et Oxford, cetera, on yes. the one hand at Oxford, and um, chancellor of Sheffield Hallam. Yeah. So the academia on the one side. And then the politics, and I mean, I may be wrong, but the, the politics of becoming a peer helped you perhaps change the law in favour of yeah the things you believe passionately with, with human rights.
1: Absolutely. You see, what what happened was that um, in the late '80s, um, there was a there was a campaign that was established called Charter '88, and I was one of the um, original people involved in that. Um, I didn't set it up, but others did, but I joined early on. And I became the chair of Charter 88 in 1992.
0: When and what Labour, did Charter 88? Well, do. Charter
1: 88 was saying let's have a new constitutional set of arrangements. And one of the things w- that was that people wanted to see was a written constitution. They felt that, um, and I know that you wouldn't share this but that the, <laughs> the, this idea, but you're, that putting, the, you're, you're putting words in my mouth. No, I, <laughs> I, but I mean, but the, the, the strong feeling was that, that that things had got out of kilter and that there needed to be more constraints upon the executive. And so um, there were lots of discussions about whether our constitution was, was yet, you know, um, doing the job. And so what one wanted to see was reform of the House of Lords. We're talking about it again. There was reform of the House of Lords, um, uh, a Human Rights Act, because it, one wanted to see the incorporation of the European Convention of Human Rights into English uh, law, British law, I mean, across the, across the UK. And, and also Freedom of Information Act, also um, devolution. And those things were being debated everywhere. And I was very interested as a Scot in the idea that decisions should be made closer to home. I don't believe in Scottish nationalism, but I do believe that decision-making is better um, uh, placed close to the people affected by decisions. And so um, I became very actively involved in this campaign. We tried to persuade Labour. At an early stage, before the ninety-two election, but it really didn't didn't bite at that stage. But as the years passed into the nineties, um, I spoke to John Smith and I got him to um, speak on and to adopt the idea that there should be a bill of rights, uh, the Human Rights Act, and then um, and then we persuaded. Um, uh, And the big big move, actually, was persuading Peter Mandelson that if there were going to be financial constraints if Labour came in in '97, then the thing to do was to have an agenda that was imaginative and modernising, and that that should be about our our changing all these different things, that Labour was going to come in and change the architecture of Britain. And that's what we sought to do, and that's what brought me into the House of Lords.
0: So you, you touched upon the reform of the House of Lords with Charter 88. So it was a moment of triumph, I guess, when you were able to drive through the change of the
1: hereditary status. It, it, it was, well, let, let me be clear. I, I do think that the the idea of having hereditary peers um, is, 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 if, is, if you like, the most, um, if you like, ridiculous facet of the House of Lords, um, that people should be there as a result of uh, of who they are and who their family are. And so um, what was negotiated was that um, in order to get it through, it's very difficult to get that kind of constitutional reform through um, our parliamentary system. And so, you know, um, although Labour had quite a majority, um, it wasn't enough to do that. And so it was negotiated and it was recognised there had to be a negotiation. Um, and so 90 uh, hereditary peers were given the opportunity of basically ha- mm. be- being life peers. Yeah. And, uh, and, and so they, from their own number, elect Um, who should come in. But I think that the the time for that, it was always felt that that was an interim measure. And I think that that should go. And I think that we should be greatly reducing the size of the house. I think it should be maximum of 400 people. And I think that we should be thinking of it being a hybrid house in which there is um, better, if you like, representation of the regions, but also that you have expertise. I think you won't get scientists standing for election, but I think that scientists and People with medical expertise and and good educational uh, experts, all those people are needed in the house.
0: I agree, and I think that there should be de facto peers. You know, there's, yeah. there's far too many bishops. It's not representative yes. of the religious feeling in the country. You know, as you said, yeah. I don't buy this elected uh, bit because I'm not sure uh, they would quite turn out to be quite the calibre. As you said yourself, I don't think those scientists would stand for election.
1: No, so you have to have. A, when I say hybrid, I'm talking about a mixture that you would have um, a mixture of both appointed because of their expertise and because you recognise a need or a gap. Yeah, and I think already there's a level of that going on. Certainly for the crossbench peers, that they look and see where is there a gap? Is it? Do we have somebody who knows about the film industry and who knows about cultural uh, the, the cultural industries and so on um, and the importance of those to our our you know our Mm. Productivity and so on, as well as our culture and our creativity, and then you need people who know about other things, and sometimes they're quite humble things i mean you know i i I you know things like you know, people who know about the teaching and the learning of the very young yeah so um but it's about having having experience and I do think that um i i I actually think the business of patronage has to go. the idea that prime ministers can create a whole swathes of folk seems to me. Um, a thing that's had its time. I'm probably a goner then. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, but anyway, you're under the uh, wire now. The you're in. I mean, I you're in so. you're I've you're been in. there for about yeah. 18
0: years. But the really amazing thing was that Tony Blair put when, John of New Labour in '97. Mm. He chose four or five peers, all of which are incredibly impressive people. David Putnam, the great movie. Producer, probably yeah. our greatest ever movie producer, yeah. Valerie Amos, of course.
1: Yes, so wonderful uh, international. Patricia Scotland,
0: yourself. Yes, all of which have turned out to turn through to make a big contribution in politics yeah. and in and in, during their time in the House of Lords. You know, you were, you were chairman of the British Council, for example.
1: I did that for six years. I loved it. That was a wonderful thing. Um, and just describe what the British Council the, pe- does. Yeah, people on the whole um, inside Britain don't know what the British Council is. And yet, If you go to India or if you go to large stretches of Africa and Pakistan, all sorts of places, everybody knows what the British Council is. And it's because... It was, it was about soft power. It's about, you know, um, uh, people who wanted to learn how to speak English, people who wanted to know how, um, uh, you know... Um, there were lots of cultural links created between our music, on on the business of theatre and bringing our theatre out to parts of the world. But also, in exchange, um, uh, we we ended up making incredible friends for Britain. It's and, the soft uh, power, isn't it? It's that business of soft power. Yeah. And, of course, it's, you know... When it comes to cuts, you see, to government, it's the sort of bit of government that ends up getting taking it in the neck. When in just fact, just like the world service, and things like that. yeah. yeah. And you, it's because you know it, it's not readily measurable. But this stuff is really important. And we used to send out, you know, our police, police, you know, policing people who'd experienced and recently retired to work with people who were establishing, you know, independent, you know, policing in places. And I remember doing it. They did it in South Africa, setting sending out parliamentary draughtsmen to help the new South Africa. Yeah with how you draft legislation. Um, and those exchanges on training and all sorts of things were just wonderful, but they made friends for Britain and friends for life. And I think that we've been neglecting that uh, end of, of what we need to do um, if we want to have our place in the world as we talk about. In a post-Brexit Britain. In, in a post-Brexit Britain, particularly. And,
0: and a, the Commonwealth is another uh, yeah. one, which obviously I'm biased when I say Yeah.
1: No, no, of course I mean, it's very important that we do all those things. But and the British Council has been very present around the Commonwealth, um, but also in places like uh, I mean, if only we'd been stronger and and been able to uh, do a better job in some of the um, places in Eastern Europe, you know, to strengthen the rule of law. I mean, one of the things about uh, uh, that we recognise for in the world is the rule of law because we have such a an, an incredible judiciary yeah oh, we, and our system is so is so well respected and it's why you know um, a, a commercial cases come to be resolved in Britain even when we it's not a British company that's uh, that's a party to the to the uh, contract. But they come to resolve contracts and they put them down as the venue for, for um, resolving disputes should be Britain because our courts are of the highest uh, caliber. And, you know, that isn't, it's not seamless. You know, you've got to remember that this is, imp- that's why it's important that you, you, your criminal courts are good and that you deal with all manner of law um, in, in ways that hold that uh, candle uh, uh, alive and, and bright. Tell me about the Helena Kennedy Foundation. Well, that was an interesting thing, and and um, I I mean, this is I've always been very collaborative, and um, I in when I became a, a QC in 1991, I uh, the year afterwards I was asked to take part in a a national um commission on education, and it uh, it was basically that I was this working class girl who'd um, <laughs> somehow managed to you know uh, sort of climb the heights. Well, I think and the on. working
0: bit's very yeah. fair. Uh, anyway, and, uh, God, so what happened
1: then? Um, uh, was that I? I was on that National Commission on Education, and the bit I was on was was because it was cradle tra- tra- to grave. We could probably do with it again, but it was I. T- I dealt with the bit on higher education and further education. Some of my, we I mean, my one of my sisters left school at fifteen, but she went back into education. Um, after she had her her children, uh, she and she. Ended up through going to further education college, went to university, and then um, became an English teacher and the head of an English department in a big school. And those opportunities, those long, you know, long-term second chances for people are so important. So Gillian Shepherd contacted me after that report came out and said, "I would like a a commission set up to deal with um, further education. It's a neglected part of our education." Of course, she's a conservative. She's a conservative, and she and and. I, and I love her, and I count her as a very good friend. And Gillian got in touch with me, and I chaired this inquiry into further education, and I wrote a report, and we brought it out, and it was about basically seeing the the vital importance of training and and giving people second chances and developing skills, um, and involving you know if you want to regenerate places, that's what you have to do. And so of course we're looking at all of this stuff again, but um, at that time. You know, Labour was just, just coming to government when the report came out, and so it, for a while it had some it had some um, capture with the, the, the those the, the powers that be. But um, we've never done it well enough, and I and I hope that we can do it now because it, by God, if we're going to do anything in places that are which are really suffering just now, you really need to give opportunities for people to. Acquire new skills, and the further education sector is full of terrific people doing great work in that area. And so, this Kennedy Foundation is about giving bursaries to people to go from further education into higher education. Because mm. they're often they're often people in their thirties or late twenties. They've they got pregnant when they were fifteen, or they're boys who got into bits of trouble, and then and, and you apply for you funding. apply for funding. And, so, and you yeah. have a board, that and we, we've got a board, and, and we and 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 so we give everybody a thousand pounds. It's not exactly going to change the the world. It's not paying for everything, but it's it's so it's they a can buy a computer, it's so they can buy their their travel pass, it's so mm-hmm. that they can mm-hmm. um you know get childcare for bits you know. So it's it's a way of easing the passage of people, making that transition where they want to to uh, acquire real skills to to just you know improve their lives, and. Uh,
0: I mean, looking back, uh, at, as you, we all do, um, what are the things that have given you the sort of greatest pleasure? Where you've ticked the box, and I think that that really, you know, I really feel I, I I did it there.
1: Well, Jonathan, I I I think I was probably. Um uh, you know, it's it's always difficult to sort of you know talk yourself up, but I played a, I think an important part in uh in talking about what was happening to women in the justice system, because um I started talking about all of that um but I did have a chapter in a book in my in the when I was in my late twenties about um women at the bar because it, there was a lot of discrimination mm-hmm. chambers didn't want women and would say we we've got one you know, as if that somehow was, was enough. Yeah. And uh, and then and that then, moved on to equality. And, it, and it moved on to the whole business you of... Were involved yeah. with the, chat, the campaign for
0: homosexual equality and all, oh, those, all things. those things.
1: And, and, but but the, women, the women at the bar was about saying that we need to have, you know, um, uh, the justice system fails women. And one of the ways in which you can improve that is by having more women in the judiciary, that women should be able to move more seamlessly mm. up through the system, which wasn't happening. Um, but also to look at the ways that law failed women because of the things that we're now talking about, um, which is that, um, you know, in in sexual offences, that somehow there's a a sort of double standard. And internationally,
0: I mean, we're doing quite a lot, uh, obviously, women in business in the Commonwealth, particularly in Africa, at the yeah. moment. You've you've spent a lot of time on that, haven't you?
1: I have, and I, and I've often spent time. I mean, when the banking crisis happened, I was I went out for Barclays. I went I went to uh, um, a number of different banks uh, to encourage women to rise up and how what the blocks were mm. in women rising within the banking and financial sector, and uh, and I and I've done that a lot in different places about. Because we know that diversity and having more women, having people from different ba- backgrounds uh, and uh, from ethnic minorities, actually enriches the the the, the nature mm. of the debate inside mm. organisations and the creativity. And you know, you can you can have McKinsey telling you this as well as you know Helena Kennedy that you actually get better outcomes when you have that kind of mix. Mm. And um, so it's it's pretty old fashioned not and, to be that there,
0: so. going back to the Lords. I mean, do you think you can still get your message across there now as it's Currently const- constituted. Oh,
1: oh yes, I mean, I, I. Uh, I, I mean, you
0: are a whip's nightmare because you voted the highest voter against your own party in Parliament. When, uh, well,
1: well, that was when when Labour was in government. They didn't always do the the right thing by the rule of law either. They they tried to diminish jury trial. Um, and quite considerably, and and that was, as far as I was concerned, was a road too far. and <laughs> I, I and I didn't like that they locked up people without trial um, because of the uh, after nine eleven they we copied you know what the Americans were doing. And I didn't like the fact that we were prepared to accept evidence that was based, you know, we were accepting intelligence based on torture, which was leading to the arrest of people. So there were many of those things where I thought, that, um, we were, that Labour was also transgressing on the rule of law, just as I think your party is today. And so when people <laughs> are, when, I mean, I'm a lawyer. First and foremost, I believe in protecting the rule of law, protecting human rights and civil liberties. And that's where I, who whatever the, 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 the complexion of the political party, I'm afraid I'm going to be speaking out about it.
0: Well, it's brilliant. And the House of Lords is very lucky to have you, both sides are indeed and your contribution is always fantastic and I I love listening to you speak. Helena thanks so much for uh, sparing the time it's been brilliant. I no, mean you are so industrious and it's it's just as I say I'm exhausted well, you know, just hearing all the
1: things you've well, done. I mean the real challenges at the moment are, are, are for me are around I'm, I'm on this task force on the war crimes in Ukraine. Um I I I was busy evacuating women judges from Afghanistan and we got 103 of them out with their families but then it's then then the battle became about finding places for them to resettle and the other areas that i'm dealing with are about i mean look at what's happening in hong kong mm, and the reach mm. the long arm of china's reach and
0: of course you're banned from china aren't you
1: i've well, been i've been sanctioned, sanctioned by the by chinese china, yes. <laughs> yes. I'm not, i don't have a house on the yangtze so I, <laughs> my my summer holidays are still still okay but uh, but it is it is shocking that when we see that um um that that all over the world rights are being abused and mm. uh, and that's why for britain to retain a strong hold uh, and commitment to the rule of law is vitally important mm. and that's why i'm uh, it's so important that we we here in our parliament protect mm. that
0: well it, it's it's fantastic what you you do and the energy with which you do and really appreciate you sparing the time
1: no it's lovely to be with you jonathan